a new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Illness means the condition when the body does not function normally, and health is the condition when all natural matters function in their proper way. The moving away of a hand or foot or any other limb from its proper position causes pain, and if this condition persists for a time, not only the affected limb becomes useless, but it begins to affect other limbs also. The same is the case with the soul. When a person moves away from God, who is the true source of his life, and departs from the religion of nature, he is involved in suffering, and if his heart is not dead and retains its feeling, he feels the torment keenly. If this condition is not reformed, there is an apprehension that all spiritual faculties might gradually become useless and a severe torment might ensue. Thus no suffering comes from outside. All suffering is generated within a person. The protector, the one who guards all from danger, he sends down the angels with revelation by his command on whomsoever of his servants he pleases, saying, Warn people that there is no God but I, so take me alone for your protector. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary, awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimashq, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the First and Second World Wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. 
However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired should be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Ever Merciful May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all You are listening to The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio My name is Mubarak Zmini and with me today I have Daniel Ahmed In today's show uh, we have three segments The first segment is New method allows control of each finger in a bionic hand. Segment 2. UK citizens with mental health conditions are more likely to fall behind on bills. And segment 3. New drug could slow dementia development. So dear listeners, uh, do stay with us as we explore, examine and discuss about all these interesting uh, segments. So to start off, uh, let's see um, what we have on uh, with the weather. Um, so today, variable cloud and light showers. These may merge into larger spells of rain at times and turn locally heavy, turning wet and windy in the far southwest in the late afternoon and evening. Tonight, Outbreaks of showery rain spreading towards uh, northwards across the UK. The rain will be heavy and thundery in places, staying mostly dry in northern Scotland with clear spells. Wednesday, we can expect unset- uh, unsettled with heavy and, and thundery showers spreading eastwards, turning dry in the north and west through the day, with just a few light showers lingering a breezy day and the outlook for Thursday to Saturday is that variable cloud and scattered showers are expected on Thursday these heavier in central parts largely overcast in the north a cooler day with northerly winds Friday looks to be a similar day with showers more restricted to the south and east Saturday is set to see an area of low pressure moving across the UK bringing spells of heavy rain and showers to southern areas. 
سو دانیال السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ ہاؤ یو ڈوئنگ ٹوڈے الحمدللہ ہم ڈوئنگ گڈ مائی سیلف واؤ باج یو یا ایم 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 برلینٹ ٹو الحمدللہ بائی دی گریس اف اللہ ائی مین وی ڈیڈ ہیو ا بٹ اف ا ائی ویٹ سنڈے بٹ سنس دین وی وی ہیو مینیج ٹو بائی دی گریس اف گاڈ وی گاٹ ا نائس وارم مارننگ ٹوڈے ہیو وی Yeah, we we do, but uh, there are some you know patches of cloud as well. Uh, we can see on the on the sky as well. Right. Okay. Well, moving ahead with um, the first part of of uh, today's uh, show, um, which uh, is usually from seven a.m. to seven thirty, and it consists of the the news and the headlines. So, starting with the headlines. Um, we have um so uh, i think so the most of the headlines are regarding um stuart broad um who just gave retirement from international cricket mm-hmm. and uh, the first one says um financial times says that all the front pages of tuesday tuesday's papers carry images of stuart broad who brought an end to a glittering career at the fifth and final test of the ashes the financial times notes to his delivery which clinched victory for england in another dramatic series the lead story in the paper focuses on approvals for mortgages jumping in june marking its fastest pace in 5 years it's oval and out for stuart board who beams on the front of the daily mirror as the tabloid leads with critics hitting out at Rishi Sunak's oil and gas policy announcement in Scotland on Monday. Tuesday's Daily Telegraph leads with a study which claims the coronavirus lockdown harmed quote-unquote almost half of children citing youngsters being more worried and less confident. The paper also reports Nigel Farage is holding talks uh with courts to prevent his bank account from being closed a quirky mad cartoon at the foot of of the board sheet pokes fun at a major a, a, a man's car having low mileage after never being able to leave at low traffic neighborhood shutdown is the daily mail's main headline as it follows up on an investigation finding some solicitors were helping migrants with false asylum claims the tabloid says three law firms have been closed down by regular regularity authorities elsewhere stuart broad shares a moment with his partner molly king and their daughter annabella during day 5 of the ashes mm-hmm. the front page of the metro is dominated by the photos of england's cricket team who marked the end of the ashes with a win at the oval leveling a memorable ashes series at 2-2 the paper also reflects on rishi sunak's trip to aberdeen after he gambled on giving out 100 new north sea oil and gas licenses a grinning stuart broad is photographed on the front of the guardian as the paper leads with rishi sunak's pledges yesterday to max out the UK's oil and gas reserves the paper reflects on a series of school strikes being called off after four unions agreed 
a 6.5% pay, uh, 6, 6 pay rise and also touches on Nigel Farage's claims Kautz has offered to reopen his bank accounts. Mm -hmm. Shoplifters will be hit with mandatory jail sentences for repeat offences. The lead story in Tuesday's Time suggests it also features a striking image of Stuart Broad after his last ball, under which is a story advising that Sunday is the best day to send an email if you want your colleagues to read it. The I newspaper leads with testimony from an anonymous, anonymous expert who gave evidence to a House of Lords committee warning of the threat posted by AI technology to human life. At the top of the must, masthead is a bold image of Stuart Broad embracing James Anderson after his final wicket saw England with their fifth test in London by 49 runs. Mm -hmm. There's welcome news in the Daily Express declaring the summer weather will return after much of the UK saw a rainy July. On the other side of the masthead the tabloid shows David Hunter freed after killing his terminally, terminally ill wife, Janice. A, a triumphant Stuart Broad features again as the paper leads with a story claiming high street banks will be forced to pass on internet rate rises to savers. And finally, the Daily Star features Rishi Sunak in its lead story as the paper pokes fun at the Prime Minister's clash with a BBC Radio Scotland host who confronted him about his decision to fly to Aberdeen for a green energy announcement. Images of England's bowlers to abroad are a number of the are on a number of the front pages as the papers react to England's victory in the final ashes test. So the Daily Mail says that the seamer helped England earn a rightful draw in the series. Broad's unique achievement of hitting his last ball in Test cricket for six and taking a wicket with his final delivery is praised in the Daily Telegraph. In other news, former UKIP leader Nigel Farage has told to the Daily Telegraph he is in talks with uh, Couch Bank after keeping his accounts with them. The main headline in the I newspaper warns the use of AI in weapons could pose an unfathomable rise to humanity as it reports on a House of Lords hearing. Serial shopkeepers, shoplifters could be sent to prison under plans to crack down on repeat offending, according to the Times. A number of the front pages react to the government's decision to grant 100 new oil and gas licenses for the new North Sea. The Guardian reports environmental groups have reacted with dismay, while the Delhi Express says Rishi Sunak has prioritized energy security. Beneath the headline, quote-unquote, oil will be back, oil be back, the metro describes the plans as a gamble designed to help the Tories outflank Labour. Finally, according to the Financial Times, China's president uh, has carried out the country's biggest military purge for a decade. 
so these were the headlines uh, of the week and uh, which i have said before that most of the headlines were regarding either um stuart broad who took more than 600 wickets uh, in test during his whole career and um, the second headline was regarding rishi sunak and uh, mumbai's what do you say regarding uh, any of this or uh, regarding the jalsa salana the annual gathering which happened just a day ago do you have what's your feeling regarding well i mean um as you know the jalsa salana is is um, an, an annual um gathering which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community hosts it is the largest um, muslim gathering mm-hmm. in the uk and this year was the 57th year yeah um, by the sheer grace of and uh, allah the almighty yeah uh, by the grace of allah the almighty there were more than 40000 people who attended this year's jalsa and mm. uh, it was uh, it is uh, the largest you know gathering ever happened uh for the md muslim community in the uk and um, a report says which is from farnham herald which says that more than 40000 member of the md muslim community descended on east waltham yesterday friday on friday uh, for the start of jalsa salana uk mm. which is the annual gathering this community has members in more than 100 countries and international visitors were welcomed once again as its 57th annual convention broke the event's pre-covid attendance record the need for an accurate uh, portrayal of the beliefs and activities of all faith all uh, faith groups uh, was explored in an opening press conference entitled exploring the challenges of reporting on religious minorities in britain the motto of the md muslim community which is love for all hatred for none and this message was reinforced through prayers and the speeches of its khalif his holiness hazrat mirza masroor ahmed may allah be his helper and so he uh, regarding this he gave five keynote addresses uh, during uh, the three year uh, three year three days Mm-hmm. and um alhamdulillah by the grace of allah almighty uh, every member of the community tried to tried his best to gain those blessings yeah. and uh, implement accordingly uh another article which is uh, from the news yahoo news and again um, kind of very similar a report mm. uh, to the one which i gave presented before you the leon and it says that muslims spoke about the importance of standing shoulder to shoulder as a community as they attended the first day of the largest islamic convention in the uk around 40000 muslims are expected to attend the jalsa salana which began on friday and ends on sunday with some traveling from overseas to reach oakland farm in alton Hampshire <coughs> where the convention takes place <coughs> and um lastly uh, which is from uh, ITV um and the headline and which they gave is Muslims stand 
shoulder to shoulder at Islamic uh, largest Islamic convention in UK and <clears throat> um, it says that around 40,000 Muslims are expected to attend the Jalsa Salana which uh, began on Friday and further it says that uh, Faraz Ahmed uh, 19 a law student from Bradford who said uh, he journeyed for five hours on Friday morning to reach Alton told the PA news agency and he said I think it's really important to remove the misconceptions around Islam and change the narrative, change the, perspe- uh, change the perspective that people have upon it. By people coming here and having a look at what true Islam looks like and what we believe Islam is about, that's the only way that narrative is going to change. So Daniel, the Jalsa Salana um, is, <coughs> the, is the annual convention. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, volunteers that will probably be helping with the setting and 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 with the with the with the, with the takedown. Yeah. So uh, roughly, can you explain to the listeners um, how what what's the duration? How long does the community have to set everything up? For this, for this gathering of, of 41,000, 40,000 40, plus people, and how long do they have to, to take, take, take it down? So, mm, this year the convention, which is 57th year, um, was formed with the help of around 5,000 volunteers from the MZ Muslim community, which is deemed to be you know, the fastest uh, growing sect within Islam. And um, it uh, started on 28th July and um, finished on 30th of July. Mm. And um, I remember that um, when we were doing this breakfast show on last uh, Tuesday, uh, we have a guest with us, uh, Arslan Ahmed. uh, and uh, he was one of the volunteers of the Jalsa Salana. Right, okay. And uh, he, you know, very, he gave us his whole life story, how he, you know, passionately started um, doing uh, uh, service for, the, for this convention like five years ago. And it was one of his friends, you know, who motivated him to come with him to Jalsa Salana and before that he was never aware of the blessings of uh, working in Jalsa Salana right. and um, you know this is uh, these are the blessings which uh, uh, which members of the Amdi Muslim community try to uh, gain and gather and uh, try to implement their lives accordingly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, so the, the the convention offers uh, people the chance to come together mm. to to self-reflect and to focus on on spiritual goals for the for the coming year, and also um, features several highly symbolic services and and sermons from from the leader of uh, the Ahmadi Muslim community, the Caliph Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed. Um, so, how is the how was the first day? If you could just tell the listeners. Um, what was the main sessions on the first day on Friday? Friday was the first day, Saturday was the second, and Sunday would be with the final session, right? 
um, if you if you can recall with with, with what happened. Uh, so um, on the first day, uh, it was um, the Khalif Fawcett, the flag uh, for the community alongside the Union flag, which was raised by Rafiq Hayat, uh, the national president of the MD Muslim community in the UK. And it was then followed by a sermon from the uh, from the Khalif who addressed the current issues uh, facing the community and so society as a whole. And across the weekend, around uh, 270,000 meals uh, were prepared uh, on, mm. on site by the volunteers. And uh, the bread, uh, bread factory at the convention provides around 9,000 uh, rotis. Uh, rotis are a kind of, you know, a flat bread which is eaten with uh, with meals mm. every hour for the attendees, and um, yeah, and Sarah, uh, one of the volunteers, uh, Sarah Ward, um, a 43 year old uh, primary school teacher from Kingston, yeah, uh, she said that it it is really nice to see the diversity of Muslim community as well as the unity that comes with the um, convention. And um, after that, uh, you know, um, after the uh, speech of the uh, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, uh, we had a time to explore different exhibitions. Uh, we have uh, the Existence Project, uh, the Review of Religion Project, um, Mm. Um, and uh, many more markets uh, um, with like um, uh, there there were terbiyat uh, marki there was uh, bookshops and many new books were introduced in the bookshop as well um, like uh, few of the books uh, of the Promised Messiah uh, were translated into English language as well and uh, some new books uh, were uh, also introduced uh, in, in the bookshop as well. And uh, yeah, throughout uh, these three days, uh, the forecast was kind of very dodgy as well. Mm, indeed. And um, must you tell me how was your your day? Um, uh, it's also important to mention here, Daniel, that on Saturday, the, the Caliph, he addressed the... Uh, female section of the convention as yeah. well, um, and then on on Sunday, uh, he uh, uh, before his uh, final address, um, His Holiness, he he gathered all the attendees, and um, everyone, kind of like, uh, you know, gathered to to pledge allegiance to the Caliph, yeah. uh, in in a human chain, uh, which is formed of of literally the forty thousand. Uh, people that were present. Uh, it on was the day. one of the moments uh, where you can feel the vibe and the aura of the whole yeah, uh, gathering. Exactly, and it's not um, a pledge of allegiance in a way where um, you know anybody would think that it's an extremist kind of thing. Yeah. It's more of a spiritual kind of thing, and it's uh, just enabling us to renew our vow. That yeah. we have towards the Caliph and towards Islam. I mean, it's the same vow which the Promised Messiah Islam took, and which was that uh, he, he he came with the message um, that uh, to pay the due rights of Allah the Almighty and to pay the due rights of human uh, human being. 
so that's the same vow or same uh, pledge of allegiance uh, which uh, um, we have which we have to tread on the, on this path indeed um it's time for a short break daniel yeah. after which uh, we'll discuss new method allows control of each finger in a bionic hand dear listeners please join us straight after the break and we will continue with the show peace be upon you i'd like to talk about something that i think is quite common that being feelings of emptiness or a sense of disconnection that doesn't necessarily fall into the medical definition of depression or other pathologies although personally i do think it can be related to conditions like that quite intimately for some people a lot of people feel an underlying sense of disconnection which can manifest in many different ways feelings of emptiness or loneliness even when we aren't alone a terrible inability to be alone with our own thoughts an overwhelming fear of death or feelings of nihilism this feeling of disconnection has been attributed to a whole myriad of things the breakdown of the typical nuclear family isolation from nature and each other and even growing economic inequality and while i think all of these things might contribute to or exacerbate the situation my own personal opinion is that the causative reason for our feeling of disconnection is that we've abandoned a key part of what makes us human our spirituality our practices of prayer and contemplation and an understanding that there is a reality that is not accessible to our material everyday senses that can only be accessed through spiritual practices but are nevertheless as essential to us as our physical food is to our bodies after all the common thread that links immersion in nature or connection with other people is an attempt to fulfill the need to unify ourselves or at least to feel intimately connected with something greater something that is transcendent essential unchanging beautiful nourishing almost every human culture of the past seemed to understand this to some degree or another So it's actually quite remarkable that our now global culture has by and large abandoned any notion of these ideas or practices as valid. Historically, there are a lot of reasons for this that are maybe for another day, but I will say that we're now feeling the negative consequences of the attitude that stems from dismissive, closed-minded materialism. A lot of people attempt to medicate their internal sense of disconnection with anything that will placate their inner disquiet, anything that can partially replicate the feeling of connection for a short period of time. Such measures often include avoiding being alone, using work, friendships, relationships, sex or even drugs as a kind of stopgap to fill that void. In my personal opinion, while these things might work in the short term, they don't get to the root of the problem, and this means that all of these activities are driven by a need to be made whole instead of out of a choice to add to an internal state that already feels whole. When the stopgap measures, for whatever reason, are no longer available, the feeling of disconnection returns often worse than before so i want to be very clear about what i believe and have experienced is the root cause of all this and what is the attendant cure in my opinion and personal experience the ultimate root cause of this is the elimination of spirituality and spiritual practices especially regular prayer from human life the function of prayer is to disconnect from the continuous external stimulus that we receive for a brief time and to attempt to connect ourselves with the higher power god or allah indeed to my mind the mere fact that human beings feel such constant yet varied in a discomfort when we abandon this practice is proof enough that it's something many are in need of some of you watching now will agree or have had similar experiences yourselves others are going to be more skeptical to those who ask specifically how one should pray the answer is that prayer ultimately is varied and personal but all effective prayer has throughout human history been noted to have some common traits namely that it is addressed directly to god and not through any intermediary that it is heartfelt as much as is possible and that it's regular on this point the promised messiah peace be upon him wrote he who supplicates with the sincerity of his soul is never truly frustrated 
that prosperity which cannot be achieved through riches and authority and health, but which is in the hand of God, and he bestows it in whatever shape he wills, is bestowed through perfect prayer. I'm personally confident that anyone, no matter their past, who engages in this practice persistently, say on a daily basis, even for a few minutes, and keeps an open heart and mind, will find that their internal state and their experience of living changes dramatically for the better. The feelings of disconnection and internal isolation that they may have felt previously morph into the opposite, feelings of peace, harmony, connectedness. To those who are skeptical, or those who are agnostic, I would simply remind them that a truly rational skeptic puts even those ideas and theories that they are most skeptical about to a deliberate and honest test, and that if the purported benefits of a practice are truly that extraordinary, then that at least is evidently worth trying. You may be pleasantly surprised as to what you experience and find. In summary, I'd like to leave you with a few Quranic verses that crystallize what I've spoken about. And when my servants ask thee about me, say, I am near. I answer the prayer of the supplicant when he prays to me, so they should hearken to me and believe in me that they may follow the right way. Therefore remember me, and I will remember you, and be thankful to me, and do not be ungrateful to me, and seek help with patience and prayer. And this indeed is hard except for the humble in spirit. Aye, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Peace be upon you. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language. Bala Dimashq, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the first and second world wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death.
a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. to the Voice of Islam Radio. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Dear listeners, um, now we begin with uh, segment one, which is new method allows control of each finger in a bionic hand. Um, do stay with us, uh, join us and uh, try to interact with us if you have um, any comments or if you'd like to take part in a discussion on 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 the on the topic um, you can contact us um, via phone our number is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or you can tweet us at voice of islam uk so the invention of um, a, a prosthetic limb uh, dates back thousands of, of, of years uh, and they have been used throughout history to improve the quality of life for many amputees. 
In this segment, we will explore the issues that remain with uh, uh, prosthetics used today and discuss a study carried out recently which could potentially tackle these problems. So, um, the issues which remain with 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 uh, uh, prosthetics used today, as mentioned in the article, is that it is common to replace uh, a, a, a lost limb with a prosthetic limb, but these limbs can be um, hard to control and are often unreliable. Uh, a bionic hand is controlled by the remnant muscles in the residual limb because patients can contract con- contract muscles at, at will. And electrical activity generated by the contractions instructs the prosthetic hand what to do, like open or close. At higher levels of, of amputation, such as above the elbow, fewer muscles remain to control many robotic joints necessary to restore real arm and hand functions. So, in order to solve this, this problem, uh, a multidisciplinary team of surgeons and engineers has reconfigured the residual limb and, and, and integrated sensors and a sket, uh, 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 implant so that it can contact electrically and mechanically with a, with a uh, prosthesis. Uh, bionic um, uh, prostheses are now able to to access much more information than before because uh, peripheral nerves nerves have been redirected to new muscle targets which are used as biological um, amplifiers. This allows users to command many robotic joints at will. It is common for, for uh, prosthetic limbs to be attached to the body by means of a socket that is compressing the residual limb, which causes dim- discomfort and is mechanically unstable in the long run. Uh, a titanium uh, implant can be used instead of socket attachment and will become strongly uh, anchored within the residual bone. This process is known as um, os- osseointegration and allows the prosthesis to be mechanically attached to the body in a more comfortable and efficient way. Um, the, 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 the research um, was led by Professor, um, Professor Max Ortiz Catalan founding director of the Center for Bionics and Pain Research, CBPR, in Sweden, head of neural pro- uh, prosthetics research at the Bionics Institute in Australia, and professor of bionics at Karmas University in Technology in Sweden. The surgery took place at the um, University Hospital Sweden, where CBPR is located, the neuromuscular reconstruction procedure was con- conducted by Dr. Paolo Sasu, who also led the first hand transplantation performed in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> also speaking to the Islamic perspective as well, uh, if you see that um, His Holiness, um, 
حضرت مرزا مسرور احمد میلا بھی ہیز ہیلپ ہیز آن مینی اوکیجنس مائنڈیڈ آس دیٹ ماڈرن ایڈوانسمنٹ ان میڈیکل ٹیکنالوجی اینڈ سرجری ہیز افورڈیڈ مین اے لانگ لائف اسپین اینڈ امپروڈ ہز کوالٹی آف لائف بٹ دس شوڈ ناٹ ڈیولپ دی تھاٹ دیٹ مین ہیز اکوائرڈ ڈیوائن ایٹریبیوٹس اینڈ کین and can provide healing by himself. Uh, one must remember that uh, this progress is also due to God himself, um, who has enabled man to acquire knowledge to, to develop these technologies. So His Holiness has said that, um, um, has also uh, drew our in, uh, attention to Ahmed of Ahmadiyya's doctors and physicians around the world to first and foremost uh, remember this principle that God alone is the healer and alone uh, with treatment they should pray for their patients in order to secure God's uh, pleasure. Now we have with us our first guest of this segment um, who is uh, Paolo Sassu. Uh, Paolo Sassu is, uh, he graduated in medical school at the University of uh, Cagliari, Italy. Uh, he is orthopedic surgeon residency finished in 2004. Clini- clinical uh, fellowship in Taiwan in reconstructive um, microsurgery 2004 to 2006. clinical fellowship in hand and microsurgery in um, uh, Lausweil, uh, USA at uh, Clannard Institute in 2004 to 2006. Uh, Paolo was a senior consultant uh, director of the hand transplant program and at uh, Solgrensky uh, University Hospital, Gothenburg, uh, Sweden, 2012 to 2023. During this same period, Paolo was principal investigator for the Bionic Reconstruction Program. Uh, during those years, Paolo led the team who performed the first bilateral hand transplantation in Scandinavia and the first seven cases of Bionic Limb Reconstruction with um, osseointegration and implanted uh, electrodes. Currently, Paolo is working at uh, the orthoplastic department at the Instituto Orthopedico Rizzolo, Bologna, Italy. Uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, Paolo, could you please begin by explaining, explaining your role in this research? Yes, um, uh, uh, this was a journey that uh, started several years ago with the bioengineers from uh, the Schalmers Institute in Gothenburg, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was always interested more in uh, uh, transplantation and reconstructive microsurgery, but then when I met the bioengineers, mm-hmm. uh, I realized that there was very much going on for bionic reconstruction of the limbs. And so I was more interested in, uh, um, my role was mainly related to, to uh, surgery of the nerves and the muscles mm. um, uh, where uh, electrodes could be implanted 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, what are the differences between this uh, new technology and the uh, prosthetics uh, currently in the use? The main difference is that in regular or standard prosthetic use, uh, we have uh, the patient that has an amputation wears a, a prosthesis uh, that has a socket. And uh, in the inner face of this socket, we have electrodes that stays on the skin. So they can uh, capture or pick uh, signals coming from the muscle through the skin. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, which is very much different, a little bit, a little bit revolutionary, uh, the electrodes, instead of staying over the skin, uh, they are surgically implanted in each muscle, remained uh, in the stump, in the amputation stump. So each muscle can be used to uh, control one function of the prosthesis. So it's much more precise and much more intuitive for the patient. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing. And uh, what is this uh, bionic hand? Um, why is this bionic hand uh, is more effective than the ones commonly used today? So the main the main uh, difference uh, I would say is that uh, the prosthesis uh, is quite similar to the one that uh, is regularly used. Mm-hmm. The main difference is that uh, the control is completely different because uh, um, uh, all wires that are implanted in the in the arm or in the leg eventually um, uh, go through the bone. Mm. and then through a screw uh, which has a connector. So the screw comes out uh, uh, through the skin mm. uh, and has an attachment to the prosthesis. So that it's very easy for the patient to, uh, to wear the prosthesis and to attach it to the screw coming out through the skin where all the connections um, happen, basically. So the main difference is really that uh, the prosthesis can be similar to the one that is used today, but mm. the control is completely different, much more intuitive, and the patient can mm. also have sensation. Uh, which it is, is much uh, more effective. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And do you believe this procedure could ever be available for all the people who has uh, who have lost an arm? That would be fantastic. That would be the idea. It's very unfortunately <laughs> right now. It's a, uh, it's an experimental uh, project. It's a, mm. it's a rather expensive because it's a very much involvement of the bioengineers. Hopefully, hopefully in the future this can be uh, offered to to everybody who's in the need of a better control of a better prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So, um, who can afford uh, this procedure? Um, uh, can a middle um, uh, man, you know, uh, who is not very rich, can afford such kind of procedure? So right now, as I, as I mentioned, it's only experimental. So mm-hmm. there is a, a, a recruiting process um, uh, for patients that have had uh, an amputation, a limb amputation, especially right now it's uh, the upper limb. Hopefully in the future we can provide it also for the lower limb. And... Um, uh, um, uh, so it, right now it's all covered by research uh, grants, research money. Um, uh, and in the future, hopefully, if this will be available for everybody, then um, it will go into the market and uh, can be offered um, uh, to everybody, obviously. Mm-hmm. So could this research be also be applied to people uh, who have lost the other parts of the bodies? 
It could be, yeah. yeah. We, we've been working on the lower uh, limb also, mm-hmm. um, so the patients can have a better control of their knee, for example, if they have an above-knee amputation, mm-hmm. or their ankles, if they have, uh, you know, an amputation in the, in the below the knee, so they have to control the ankle. So we're trying to um, adapt this um, system and this project also to the lower limbs. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I would say uh, that it's mind-blowing, extraordinary. And um, uh, can you can you tell us uh, for our listeners that um, in near future, uh, when this uh, procedure will be available to all people in the market, um, like two, three, four years, uh, how long it gonna so now we're going through um, uh, now we're going through a clinical trial that uh, should involve uh, about 20 patients. We have done uh, right now only seven patients mm-hmm. with uh, uh, incredible results, very good results. So obviously, as any research or any new uh, technique, uh, we have to test uh, in a larger population to see that it's actually effective and uh, and has uh, you know very low risks. Um, so as soon as we've done uh, enough patients to prove that this is a, a, you know, a good options for this kind of patients, then uh, we'll go through the process of uh, making it available in the market. So I think it'll take at least probably five, four or five years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And uh, uh, where you see us standing in the near future in regards to uh, this AI or um, some other AI, which you know, going to perform um, human uh, or or going to operate human being. Uh, well, now it's nowadays it's really it's, it's uh, the, the probably the, the biggest change in medical uh, issues uh, has been the tight collaboration between uh, doctors and uh, and the bioengineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do. I do, a, you know, it's, it's a complicated surgery, but the, the real fact is that uh, uh, very skilled bioengineers are able to um, uh, convert or to interpret, you know, our surgeries and um, uh, um, uh, use it uh, in a good way for, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the patients. Uh, so the, all the information that we are able to provide are uh, um, used for the patient to control the prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So this tight collaboration has changed the whole vision. So Paolo, you have said that um, yeah, this is a very complicated procedure. Uh, what's the success rate you have seen uh, so far? Uh, sorry, you said the success rate? Yep. It's, um, well, it's, been, it's gone very well. We've done seven patients. In one case, due to infection, uh, because there are a lot of wires, Due to infection, we were forced to remove uh, all the wires, unfortunately. All the other seven, six patients went very well, and they've been using their prosthesis successfully in their daily life. So it's been very, um, very good. Um, uh, obviously, there is a risk of infection when we use osseointegration, which is a screw that goes into the bone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, things that we can control, but sometimes if the infection is too deep, and to um, uh, um, uh, and it's spread out in in the arm. Then we have to remove everything. Mm-hmm. 
Paolo, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, it's amazing uh, talking to you. It's it's been a delight to have you on the show. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's a very my you know extraordinary or mind blowing uh, interviewing interviewing you, and uh, may may God bless you uh, in your endeavors. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very very much. Have a good day. Thank you very much. So that was Paolo Sasso, uh, who graduated in uh, medical school at the University of um, Cagliari, Italy, uh, orthopedic uh, surgeon residency finished in 2004, uh, clinical fellowship in Taiwan in re- uh, reconstructive microsurgery, uh, 2004 to 2006. Clinical Fellowship in Hand and Microsurgery uh, in USA at the Clannard Institute in uh, 2004-2006. Paolo was Senior Consultant uh, Director of the Hand Transplant Program um, in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. And during the same period, Paolo was Principal Investigator for the Bionic a reconstruction program during these uh, those years. Paolo led the team who limb uh, reconstruction with uh, osseo integration and implanted um, electrode. Uh, and he gave us a very profound and uh, amazing interview. And we are, you know, looking forward um, um, for such people. Uh, who will be standing in in the front row leading um, uh, such uh, you know uh, operations and mm. uh, may Allah almighty you know bless them in their endeavors i mean i mean indeed um i mean it is amazing the way um so, you know we see people who are unfortunate <coughs> right yeah. people that are less than us and these kind of people are there they're helping them mm. it's all humanitarian work and you know uh, we can just also pray for everyone who who does any act of of humanity for for such people. Um, may Allah the Almighty bless them and and enable enable them to do more for society and 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 for those in. in Amen. Amen. Um, so here, Daniel will take a, a short break. Um, coming back, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Coming back to to our uh, segment, um, Daniel. The the new method which allows um, control of each figure in a in a bionic hand, and you did mention briefly the Islamic um, point of view from uh, what you were mentioning, right? Yeah, regarding His Holiness, um, what he says. Um, how we should pursue in uh, regards to scientific studies and uh, do you have any th- anything more to say regarding Islamic perspective um, I mean uh, in, I mean indeed Allah the Almighty um, he has deemed humans as the best of creation right mm-hmm. um, because of that fact uh, we have been granted intelligence and, and understanding um, we have been given, um, uh, you know, we have been granted the the ability to to differentiate between right and wrong, and we have been given the the ability to think and 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 comprehend. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, in many verses of the Holy Quran, including 
um, some 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 which are from uh, Surah Ali Imran. Allah the Almighty, you know, He mentions the creations, uh, the creation of the of the heavens and the earth, and He has instructed us to to reflect upon, uh, you know, the true purpose of our creation. Uh, he's encouraged us to use our brains to ponder upon His creation, and to search for new roads of human progress and and innovation through research and reflection. Um, you were mentioning that uh, the current head of uh, the, 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 the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, he reminded us that modern advancement in, in medical technology and surgery, um, you know. Um, yeah, th that's the same thing, though, um, and uh, as has been mentioned before. And it's it's a thing which needs to be reminded again and again. Yeah, and um <coughs> similarly because um this is uh, such thing um uh, as Allah the Almighty or as uh, our beloved master our beloved um master the holy prophet may peace and blessing Allah be upon him or uh, the promised messiah or the caliphs they keep us reminding again that we need to ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth because um Allah the Almighty has given us the faculties uh, to ponder over mm. these things. And now it is on us to use those faculties, to use those abilities, to polish them and uh, uh, try to use those abilities uh, for the best of humanity. And um, <coughs> similarly, um, we see that um, as... Um, uh, Mubariz was mentioning um, His Holiness um, that um, His Holiness on another occasion has said that um, uh, sorry my, my bad uh, the Pro Holy Prophet may peace and blessings Allah be upon him he said uh, once to a physician that you are only a soother to your patient its uh, physician is he who has created him, I Allah. The promised Messiah is, uh, and the promised Messiah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as uh, life also sheds light on this topic, on this very topic, mm. where we find that he did not li like to get treatment from a physician who had no belief in the existence of God and believed that uh, the power of healing lied solely in, the, in his own hands. Mm. Um, as such a physician would you know claim divinity to himself so uh, we can also see that he has such a uh, you know um, a strong belief uh, in in the in the, di <coughs> in the divinity of god in the divinity of god and uh, obviously both of these things you know go, go, hand, to come, go hand in hand yep. and, and without um, you can't you can't you can't God, uh, He is the Creator, yeah. and science, which we are talking about, is His act. Exactly. Um, so here we'll we will um, play um, a small audio clip, uh, which is the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad. He gives guidance regarding the study and benefits of uh, technological advance uh, uh, advantages. Um, after this, um, after this audio clip. We'll head to um, the well, second, second, se second, se yeah, second of course. Second. So, dear listeners, do stay with us.
پیارے حضور السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ My name is Fazan Ahmed Qureshi. I'm a second year perceptual neuroscience student. With the situation of the yeah. pandemic, we have seen the rise of technology greatly influence our lives. What is Hazur's guidance regarding the study of technological advances and how it can help the Jamaat and serve humanity? You see, who has given you the wisdom and brain to a human being? Allah. Allah. So it, it means it is Allah's work. Allah Ta'ala has asked you that you can do research and excel in it. Right? And Allah Ta'ala will help you. He will reward you for your research. And if you are praying to Allah Ta'ala, then it will help you at the same time as I have already said. And these technological advancement is for the benefit of a human being. As long as it is beneficial for a human being, you should get benefit out of it. But where it is being used to destroy the humanity and polluting the minds of the people, as in internet and Facebook and Instagram and so many things, then in a true believer, a moment, an Ahmadi Muslim should avoid these things, right? So as long as this technological advancement is beneficial for human being, we must use it. We have to use it. This is for our benefit. And it is Allah's help to us. And it is, it is you see, we, we have to be Uh, we show gratitude to Allah Ta'ala that He has given us such an advancement. But when they are being used for polluting our minds, then we should avoid them and say astaghfar. Avoid them. Okay? Peace be upon you. I'd like to talk about something that I think is quite common. That being feelings of emptiness or a sense of disconnection that doesn't necessarily fall into the medical definition of depression or other pathologies. Although personally, I do think it can be related to conditions like that quite intimately for some people. A lot of people feel an underlying sense of disconnection, which can manifest in many different ways. Feelings of emptiness or loneliness even when we aren't alone, a terrible inability to be alone with our own thoughts, an overwhelming fear of death or feelings of nihilism. This feeling of disconnection has been attributed to a whole myriad of things. The breakdown of the typical nuclear family, isolation from nature and each other, and even growing economic inequality. And while I think all of these things might contribute to or exacerbate the situation, my own personal opinion is that the causative reason for our feeling of disconnection is that we've abandoned a key part of what makes us human, our spirituality, our practices of prayer and contemplation, and an understanding that there is a reality that is not accessible to our material, everyday senses, that can only be accessed through spiritual practices, but are nevertheless as essential to us as our physical food is to our bodies. After all, the common thread that links immersion in nature or connection with other people is an attempt to fulfill the need to unify ourselves, or at least to feel intimately connected with something greater, something that is transcendent, essential, unchanging, beautiful, nourishing. Almost every human culture of the past seemed to understand this to some degree or another. So it's actually quite remarkable that our now global culture has by and large abandoned any notion of these ideas or practices as valid. Historically, there are a lot of reasons for this that are maybe for another day. 
But I will say that we're now feeling the negative consequences of the attitude that stems from dismissive, closed-minded materialism. A lot of people attempt to medicate their internal sense of disconnection with anything that will placate their inner disquiet, anything that can partially replicate the feeling of connection for a short period of time. Such measures often include avoiding being alone, using work, friendships, relationships, sex or even drugs as a kind of stopgap to fill that void. In my personal opinion, while these things might work in the short term, they don't get to the root of the problem. And this means that all of these activities are driven by a need to be made whole, instead of out of a choice to add to an internal state that already feels whole. When the stopgap measures, for whatever reason, are no longer available, the feeling of disconnection returns, often worse than before. So I want to be very clear about what I believe and have experienced is the root cause of all this and what is the attendant cure. In my opinion and personal experience, the ultimate root cause of this is the elimination of spirituality and spiritual practices, especially regular prayer, from human life. The function of prayer is to disconnect from the continuous external stimulus that we receive for a brief time and to attempt to connect ourselves with the higher power, God or Allah. Indeed, to my mind, the mere fact that human beings feel such constant yet varied inner discomfort when we abandon this practice is proof enough that it's something many are in need of. Some of you watching now will agree or have had similar experiences yourselves. Others are going to be more skeptical. To those who ask specifically how one should pray, the answer is that prayer ultimately is varied and personal. But all effective prayer has, throughout human history, been noted to have some common traits. Namely, that it is addressed directly to God and not through any intermediary, that it is heartfelt as much as is possible, and that it's regular. On this point, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote, He who supplicates with the sincerity of his soul is never truly frustrated. That prosperity which cannot be achieved through riches and authority and health, but which is in the hand of God, and he bestows it in whatever shape he wills, is bestowed through perfect prayer. I'm personally confident that anyone, no matter their past, who engages in this practice persistently, say on a daily basis, even for a few minutes, and keeps an open heart and mind, will find that their internal state and their experience of living changes dramatically for the better. The feelings of disconnection and internal isolation that they may have felt previously morph into the opposite, feelings of peace, harmony, connectedness. To those who are skeptical, or those who are agnostic, I would simply remind them that a truly rational skeptic puts even those ideas and theories that they are most skeptical about to a deliberate and honest test, and that if the purported benefits of a practice are truly that extraordinary, then that at least is evidently worth trying. You may be pleasantly surprised as to what you experience and find. In summary, I'd like to leave you with a few Quranic verses that crystallize what I've spoken about. And when my servants ask thee about me, say, I am near. I answer the prayer of the supplicant when he prays to me, so they should hearken to me and believe in me that they may follow the right way. Therefore remember me, and I will remember you, and be thankful to me, and do not be ungrateful to me, and seek help with patience and prayer, and this indeed is hard except for the humble in spirit. Aye, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Peace be upon you. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Merciful. Dear listeners, um, segment two, uh, which we will continue with now, is UK citizens with mental health conditions are more likely to fall behind on, on, on bills. Um, do try to call in. Um, our number is 020 
or try to tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. If you would like to um, comment or join in and, and have a discussion on the, the, the topic. So the gist of the story is that for many the cost of living crisis is a difficult time. People suffering from mental health conditions such as depression can be especially vulnerable. The ability to keep up with bills can be difficult if you are facing a tough time. In this segment we will explore how this issue can be reduced. So according to research up to 3 million people in the UK who are behind with at least one bill have had mental health problems at least once in the last two years. According to YouGov survey for the Money and, Money, uh, for the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute charity, 12% of participants are behind on one or more payments including energy, rent or credit cards and half of these people suffer from mental health problems. They calculated that there are 3 million people who are behind on payment and have experienced a mental health problem in the last two years. The report found that in the past two years, people who have had mental health problems are um, people people who have who have had mental health problems were three times more likely to fall behind on at least one significant bill, with 60% reporting feeling unable to cope because of rising costs. Yet only 9% have received debt or money advice from the uh, since the beginning of 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 the money um, since the beginning of the, the the cost of living crisis. So, what action does the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute charity believe the government needs to take? Well. Money and Mental Health Institute advocates combining money and mental health support. In addition to um, uh, psychotherapy uh, provided by the NHS, the charity believes it is important to provide practical financial advice. This would mean having uh, debt help professionals help people suffering from money-related mental health problems relieving some of the pressure of the NHS. It estimates that by joining mental health and money support, the government would save more than £140 million a year and double the amount of people who are able to recover from depression and debt. If financial advice was provided in conjunction with NHS talking therapies, recovery rates for people suffering from debt and depression would double. An extra 27,000 people would recover from mental health problems each year and waiting times for mental health services would be reduced. In addition to saving £39 million by reducing demand for health care, the authors calculate that these changes would boost productivity at work and result in, 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 in greater mental health recovery. A government spokesperson said, we're investing £2.3 billion of extra funding a year by March 2024 to expand and transform mental health services in England to treat an additional 2 million patients. 
We've also helped nearly 2 million people out of absolute poverty since 2010 and provided a £94 billion support packages worth about £3,300 per household to help those most in need. Um, obviously, these 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 um, statistics statistics and and um, the times that unfortunately we are going through um, are not easy on 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 everyone. There are people out there that um, are struggling in many ways um, due to the, the the cost of living crisis. I mean, um, with just the recent fuel prices that went up, I know that a lot of people who would you know, drive to a lot of places, stop driving and, and, and they're using public transports and they're using, um, they're even walking or, or cycling now, which at the end of the day are, is, 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 is uh, beneficial for your health, right Daniel? Mm, so yeah. um, that at the same time we should look at as a, not a downfall, but rather um, a good, the good side of, of, of things as well. Um, and if, if everyone who, if anyone who is going through a hard time, mm. instead of seeing it as a hard time, and um, you know, seeing the neg- uh, negativity, to try to um, see it with a positive side as well, and see that what the good is, what good is coming out of the current situation, and, uh, and it's very easier said than done. Um, I know uh, it's 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 very difficult and it's very hard, but at the same time, we should remember that. Um, uh, Allah the Almighty states that Allah basically that without the remembrance of God, hearts cannot find um, peace. Um, so it's important that we, at the same time, and in the remembrance of of Allah the Almighty, our Creator, and we ask Him to help us through the difficult time, mm. and that He, um, you know, He gives us patience uh, in this time. <coughs> and obviously, many of us fall into into um, Depression about sins we you know we may have uh, committed in the past. Yeah, certainly that's a very important point as well. Um, and uh, I remember that the Prophet Muhammad has also said about this that um, one should not worry about uh, this that he has committed um, many sins in in his past or in, in her past. Um, Allah, Allah the Almighty is Rahman and Rahim. He is the most merciful, and um, mm. he allows a man. Uh, or uh, or a person uh, to repent his sins uh, yeah. in his lifetime, and if he does, he is you know he is the one who who in the in in ahadis uh, comes that he loves uh, a person more more than a, a mother. So he is Rahman and Rahim as well, mm. and certainly if a person repents. Uh, he uh, certainly will, you know, bestow his blessings upon that person. So, when uh, that's a beautiful, beautiful teaching of Islam that when a person reads and uh, listens to such statements, um, he certainly feel uh, very positive about uh, the life, Indeed. and uh, he doesn't fall back in his life, and he tries to, you know, move on uh, or carry on in his life. 
more on um, just one point you uh, very beautifully mentioned by you is that you mentioned and it's uh, a step taken by the government as well that money and mental health institute advocates uh, combining money and mental health support and i think that's a very important point um, uh, which uh, we need to support um um in regards to what government is doing yeah. uh for the, for his um people and um uh, that's the point which reminded me um um of uh, jalsa uh, where hazur his holiness hazrat mirza masrur ahmed uh, uh may allah be his helper has also you know uh, gave a very powerful and keynote address uh, regarding empowering poor and needy and um, he gave uh, very beautiful examples and uh, points i remember that um, he said that um, he also quoted that the arms of the holy quran that are the arms are only for the poor and the needy and for those employed in connection therewith and for those hearts are to be reconciled and for the freeing of slave and for those in debt and for the cause of Allah and for the wayfarer and ordinance from Allah and Allah is all knowing and wise this is one of the beautiful points that you know mm, there may come a point a uh, person you know turn towards uh, being fall into the trap of uh, negative feelings um, but uh, before that it is the duty of the government to provide uh, for or to look after such people who are in kind uh, in kind of any dire need and if government supports such people by giving them the charity or arms or whatever their needs are uh, then certainly uh, we don't need to uh, i would say that uh, we won't um, uh, step close to that point where we have to see uh, where we we have to see such people uh, falling in the trap of uh, negative feelings and moreover hazur uh, his holiness said that islam's teachings are so beautiful that if followed they can bring the solution to all the problems in the world um and then hazur as i've mentioned that hazur uh, gave the keynote address regarding empowering the poor and the needy and uh, Azul said that all Ahmadis should present Islam's teachings in the front of non-Muslims without any kind of complex or shyness. Islam teachings are for all ages and do not change with uh, each era. Uh, His Holiness said that these rights uh, of uh, can only be truly established when mankind realizes that there is a higher power who is watching over every act. And then he made it clear that we are not only to fulfill the rights of Allah but those of his creation as well. Um, then Hazur uh, said regarding the verse of giving charity to the poor and the needy, he said that in that very verse Allah has spoken about all those who are in need uh, within, within society. Who are in need within society. The verse makes it clear that it is the government's duty to ensure the needs of these people are met. 
So that's a very um, a crucial point which Hazur has mentioned that it is the government's duty to ensure the needs of these people are met without asking them that you know there are sometimes many times you will see that happens in in this society that although we do get uh, many benefits from the government and we should you know appreciate such steps mm. uh, taken by government and uh, but mm, there are some i would say downfalls um, uh, like this that for example so they they we will see uh, sometimes a person is trying to you know his um, hard to trying to get to government to and ask them to you know fulfill his needs and uh, but you know government doesn't uh, listens to his voice and he has to go then through his um, hardship uh, state mm-hmm. um Hazur, what the, the what the point Hazur has mentioned is that uh, Hazur said that he shouldn't be the one mm, who should beg uh, to the government. Rather, it is government's duty to fulfill his uh, his needs mm. without him telling them. Even that's why, yeah, I mean, that's why at the same time we have, um, you know, in the UK we're blessed to be able to have the benefit schemes. Yep. You know, um, universal credit and everything. Mm. And according to your uh, financial um, status and mm. and according to ha- your household and how many people in your family, um, the government gives you your allowance. Yeah. Right. So we're blessed to be in in such a country that everything is being um, monitored and looked after at the same time. So we should be um, at the same time we should be grateful. of the governments that are already doing this yeah we should and then we should pray that the other governments who mm. are not following this um are are able so that they can look after their mm. their, their their residents of the country and and the people who um you know people are very passionate about the countries people yeah, certainly, certainly. hold a lot of sentiments and 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 this that you right to be able to i mean the, the point to which uh, you know i'm trying to uh, provide is here that although we should appreciate the the you know the endeavors uh, mm. which government government is trying to do but what islam teaches us that we should you know always try to reach the uh, pinnacle of the moralities yeah yeah so in in this perspective in this regard i'm just saying that um that without if uh, anyone is in kind of any need without him telling to the government uh, the government should try to in, uh, introduce such a system where they kind of you know uh, get to know Indeed. if there are people who are in kind of any need and they should provide themselves before them asking to the government so regarding this uh, as his holiness gave a very beautiful example uh, i remember that uh, from his sermon of uh, hazrat umar um radiyallahu anhu he said that he hold a consensus um where so that you know he can get to know such people who are in kind of any need who are poor so that they can be you know helped in uh, any way and um, in this regard you know hazur his holiness gave the example hazur said that his holiness said that how the islamic government granted rights Um, the second caliph of the of the Indian Muslim community, Hazrat Muslim Maud, radiallahu anhu, noted that 
when the holy prophet passed away and uh, muslims began to spread to different corners of, of the world foreign nations um, also entered the fold of islam <coughs> Um, the Arabs were like one group of uh, people and a single nation that, and would uphold equality among themselves. But when Islam spread to different regions and various nations being entered, uh, began entering the fold of Islam, arrangements for food became very difficult. Ultimately, Hazrat, Hazrat Umar uh, conducted a consensus for all individuals and established a system for rationing which lasted until the reign, uh, reign of Banu Umayyah. Uh, further said, uh, His Holiness, that uh, European historians admit that the first consensus ever taken was by Hazrat Umar. They also admit that this was the very first consensus taken by Hazrat Umar was not to seize the wealth of its citizens but to establish a city um, but to establish a system for their sustain, uh, sustenance other governments take a census to make uh, sacrificial lambs out of their people and to procure uh, pro to procure military services however hazrat umar did not take a census for this purpose so that's uh, you know very lengthy topic in itself mm -hmm. um, it needs uh, a very long lengthy time for this uh, but we, um, uh, let's move to different angle um, for this topic and which is you know uh, depression that's a one angle mm. uh, I would say that uh, the government should try to you know fulfill the needs so they won't come a point that the people you know fall into the trap of uh, depression the other point is how to tackle this depression okay. and uh, you know uh, one of the beautiful example uh, which you gave that first of all it is in the remembrance of Allah the Almighty uh, because he is the provider um, mm. if you are in kind of any dire st state and you ask uh, from Allah the Almighty as him being a Razik he is being the provider yeah that's uh, then certainly he will give you and uh, and we've also got to remember that when we pray for something when we ask for something hmm. don't expect it to be given to you straight away yeah don't even expect for it to be given to you hmm. right because at the end of the day we are we're requesting god to help us when we're, we're the creator we're asking to help us hmm. um he knows best for us hmm. right um, every single person in this life is going to see different types of hardships for them. Mm -hmm, right? You may see someone who is financially well off, mm. but you don't know what's actually in his heart, what kind of um, uh, feelings and what kind of uh, depression that he's going through in a mm. different sort of angle or a different sort of way. Right? Or someone who... Um, compared to someone who, who is who is not financially stable, mm. right? Mm. Everyone has their own. We don't see it, right? We don't understand it because we're not in their shoes. Yep. We don't know what's going on at their workplaces. We don't know what's going on in their homes. We don't know what's going on in their in their social lives. Mm. So we can't just um, uh, expect that we will get the same thing for that that God has given everyone, and and that'll make us happy. No, God will make you. He will. He will listen to your prayer. 
and he will um, provide for you in a way which is beneficial to you but you don't you won't realize it until you look back afterwards i mean sometimes you know you pray for something and which is you know very tiny b- uh, bit of what allah the almighty will give you yeah and uh, certainly he sometimes reward you more than you have expected from him and um one of the uh, key point uh, apart from this is that the gratefulness um <coughs> Uh, in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says that um, شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ If you are grateful, I will surely bestow more favors on you. But if you are ungrateful, then know that my punishment is uh, severe indeed. I mean, the question arises here then, what is the antidote of, you know, uh, dissatisfaction? And um, And the answer is, in this very verse which I, I have you know presented is that line shakar tum that if you are grateful then certainly uh, Allah the Almighty says that I will bestow uh, more favors on you. you know what happens in this day and age we are living in that this is the uh, era of uh, uh, social um, 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 uh, social apps like Instagram, um, Twitter, yeah, social media, uh, social media, yeah. and uh, while living in this society, you know, we are s- uh, s- surrounded by a certain societal um, expectations. You know, we many people look up to s- uh, different celebrities, and you know, they try to copy mm. them and they try to be uh, like them. Indeed, and when you know pursuing in this career or. Uh, trying to be like them, uh, this somehow kind of uh, fall back or trapped into this. Uh I just want to mention it's not just certain celebrities, right? Yeah. Nowadays, it's the trend of what someone is just any random person is doing on on social media, Certainly, yeah. and that becomes the norm. Mm. That that is the standard of life. If I don't have that, then I can't be happy. I mean, there are many trends, you know, which doesn't make any sense at all, but people try to you know follow that trend. Exactly. Um, Daniel, as 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 much as uh, we're enjoying hmm. this conversation, right? I'm sure the listeners are enjoying uh, and and are benefiting from this too. Uh, we have to move on to the next segment. Onto the on just one last point, you know. Just um, uh, trying to wrap up this uh, this yes, point please, that, please. irrespective of following, uh, you know, these celeb- celebrities, um, we should try to follow the best example which Allah Almighty has told us to follow and which is the example of the Holy Master, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. As he has said in the Holy Quran that uh, that, you know, certainly for you, um, for us, the best example is in the life of the Holy Prophet. And that's the point which I would like to leave the our listeners with. Yeah, uh, indeed, and this um, segment. there wouldn't have been any um, better closing line for this segment yeah. than what you've just done. So thank you very much, um, so dear listeners. Moving on to segment three, um, which is a new drug which could slow uh, dementia development, um, which is uh, uh, known as. Uh, do, um, 
Dunanumab. Right? Yes, that's the pronunciation of this new drug. Yeah, so because it is a new thing. It's a new thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so never know what the pronunciation is going to be like. So, um, dementia is something which affects 1 in 14 people over the age of 65 in the UK. For a long time, progress in developing a cure for the condition um, has been slow. The new drug, uh, Dunanumab, is, is regarded by some people as being a turning point in the treatment of dementia. Despite not being a cure, in this segment we will be discussing this drug and why it is regarded in this way. So dear listeners, the number is 0208-68878. So do tune in, do do, do call in and, and, and speak to us um, uh, regarding this. Or you can tweet us at uh, our voice uh, of Islam UK. Um, uh, to handle. So um, the main thing what we've got to look at is what dementia is. According to Alzheimer's Association, uh, dementia is a general term for loss of memory, language, problem solving and other thinking abilities that are severe enough to interfe- interfere with, with, with daily life. Alzheimer's is the most common cause of, of dementia. Alzheimer's disease accounts for 60 to 80% of cases. Vascular dementia, which occurs because of uh, microscopic bleeding and blood vessel blockage in the brain, is the second most common cause of dementia. Those who experience the brain changes of multiple types of dementia simultaneously have mixed dementia. A key cause of Alzheimer's disease is the, is, is, is the build-up of two substances within the brain called uh, amyloid and tau. It's when conditions in the brain aren't right that these clump up, that these clump up and form tiny structures known as plaques and tangles. As a result, the brain has a harder time functioning properly. As the disease progresses, certain parts of the brain become smaller. It also reduces the amount of important chemicals needed to send messages around the brain. Eventually, the brain struggles to cope with the damage and the person begins to have problems with memory and thinking. When it gets to the stage where these people are making it where, where these problems are making it difficult for the person to do everyday tasks that they used to do easily, this is called dementia. So, um, the drug Dunanumab, how was it tested and, and what are the findings? Um, so, researchers have examined 1,736 patients aged between 60 to 85 with early stage Alzheimer's disease as a part of the Dunanumab trial. The treatment was administered to half of the patients on a monthly basis and the other half received a placebo drug over the course of 18 months. Mm -hmm. The findings show for some patients the drug appears to be beneficial. According to brain scans, patients with earlier disease and less brain amyloid at baseline were more likely to benefit from the treatment. As a result of the drug, Recipients retained more of their daily lives, such as the ability to discuss current events, answer the phone, or pursue hobbies. 
According to researchers, the rate of disease progression slowed by 20 to 30 percent in most patients and by 30 to 40 percent in those who represented a better chance of responding. Patients should be aware of the risks of treatment since there were significant side effects. Approximately half of patients treated with Dunanumab were able to stop their treatment after a year because sufficient brain deposits had been removed. It is unknown whether the treatment will continue to make a difference over a longer period of time since amyloid is only one piece of the puzzle in Alzheimer's disease. The drug is only effective in Alzheimer's disease and not in other types of dementias such as vascular dementia as well. Although this drug is not a cure, um, we've got to understand why it's been seen as a turning point in, in the treatment of Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's uh, charities claim the study published in JAMA marks a new era in Alzheimer's treatment. The drug might have modest effects, but they add to the evidence that removing amyloid from the brain can change the course of Alzheimer's if it's used at the right time. Mm. So, it's something which um, is, uh, it needs, it obviously is, there's been a lot of research on it, there's a lot of background to it, and there's a lot of medical evidence uh, which supports its, um, mm. uh, which supports its stance. Um, so what we've got to do is, what, what we can do as individuals at the same time is um, definitely pray for the associations that uh, are trying to help with these kind of diseases. I mean, there are many people uh, who suffer with this. We have, I mean, we have people in our families that, that go through this kind of stuff. Mm. And it's very hurtful and it's very, very um, heartbreaking to see one of your own elders who you know, unfortunately, doesn't even recognize you who you are, yeah. and and when they do recognize you, it's for like a, a split of a second. Um, so it's very, very heartbreaking. So that's why we should pray for all these organizations that <coughs> are doing um, good. Again, an, an, another way of uh, humanitarian work that that is being done. We Ooh. should pray for them that may Allah the Almighty um, help them in all their endeavors to um, continue with um, uh, the work they're doing. Um, and then we should also remember those people that are going through this disease, you know, they don't know what they're going through, they don't understand. Um, it's a very hard point uh, in life for them as well. Um, you know, a human being is someone who is usually not dependent on someone and then all of a sudden having to be being dependent on someone 24-7 yeah. um, is very hard as well. So, you know, we should pray for those people um, that may Allah the Almighty uh, help them. Um, you know, ease their pain and may Allah the Almighty help their families or the care homes that they're in or wherever they are who are supporting them to, to enable them to be able to do justice to their service towards these uh, unfortunate people mm -hmm. uh, and you know, may Allah the Almighty give everyone health as well throughout their whole life um, we have a, um, a short audio clip from uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza uh, Masur Ahmed um, the the uh, it's um, yeah, fourth caliph, um, his holiness. Um, oh, sorry, my bad. Yes, from um, from the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Ahmed, uh, in which he answers the question, "Why did um, uh, God Almighty introduce disease to the creatures of of the earth?" 
So, dear listeners, um, uh, join us after this, this short audio clip. I know this may be my second question, but uh, why did God Almighty introduce disease and poverty, uh, disease to the creatures of the earth? What is the disease? Sickness. Lack of health. Yes. So it is health which God gave us. By misbehaving, by not caring for our health, we fall ill. You see, this air which we are breathing today, now here, all of us together, is polluted with all sorts of bacteria. If we were not healthy, we will all die, we will catch 101 types of diseases. So it is, what disease is, is essentially lack of health. If human beings had behaved correctly and uh, in the light of the teachings of Allah had framed their way of life, I believe there would be very little uh, misery, there would be very little disease. Still, disease cannot be wiped out, even if we behave well. Why? Because it has other uh, uh, objectives to achieve. According to Allah, according to the scheme of things, this life on earth is a life of trial, happiness and sorrow, pleasure and pain, health and disease. So life continues to oscillate between these two extremities. And in each of the two, we are tried. And it is a, like an examination hall, where the, the boys are asked questions, and they are not permitted the use of books. While all the year round, if they don't use books, they will be punished for not be using books. But in the examination hall, the rules are changed. You are punished if you, if you consult your books there in the examination hall. So the world, the life on earth here is like a huge examination hall where we are tried, both in health and in, sick, in sickness. So when you are sick and you become uh, restless and impatient and you start complaining to God, why have you made me sick and this and that? then you have failed your examination. If in your sickness you be patient and you address to God and say, Oh Allah, you created health. I, by my fault, have fallen ill. I am suffering, but I am not complaining. I only beg of you to grant me health. Then you have passed your examination. Such a case of a noble man appearing in such an examination has been mentioned in the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran tells us that once Abraham was tried by Allah in a case of, of fall in, 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 in a case when he fell ill. His reaction, which has been retained in the Holy Quran, preserved for the for us to take our lessons from, is this that he says, Waiza Maristo Fahwa Yashfin. He, speaking to others, he said, It is I who fall ill because of my mistakes, and it is Allah who cures. So, in that short expression, the essence of Abrahamic qualities is contained.
and that also teaches us the way to behave in sickness. And when we are happy, when we are affluent, when we are wealthy, when we have all that we desire, that also is a trial. You may forget God, you may forget the poorer sections of the society, the suffering humanity, those who are dying of hunger in Africa or elsewhere, and you enjoy yourself and do not care about your fellow human beings, then also you have failed in your trial. So because of this life on earth here is a life of trials between these two extremes of pleasure and pain and health and sickness, etc. So the question is invalid. Why pain? If there is trial of, of, of pleasure, there also has to be pain. If there is a trial of health, there also has to be sickness and disease. Got it? Or no? Satisfied? Yes. Good. So that was uh, His Holiness, um, um, uh, the fourth Khalif of the Indian Muslim community, uh, very beautifully explained uh, regarding our topic. And uh, moreover, uh, we find uh, many examples from uh, the Sharia, f- um, from the uh, things of the Holy Prophet uh, regarding this uh, very topic and um, his, um, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessing Allah be upon him, is reported to have said that there is no disease that Allah has created except that he has also created its treatment. And to find um, um, a cure or remedy for a disease, um, uh, the Prophet, uh, the Holy Prophet, has held researchers in great reverence, and um, most uh, beautifully has said that if anyone travels on a road in search of knowledge, God will cause him um, uh, to travel on one of the roads of paradise. The angels will lower their wings in their great pleasure with one who seeks knowledge. Why? Because the Holy Prophet is trying to, uh, you know, um, encourage believers to seek knowledge so that um, through this they can, uh, you know, find cure or remedies which will in the end benefit uh, their fellow beings. And um, um, we also see that one of the attributes of Allah the Almighty, um, His divine attribute is that uh, Ashafi, which means healer. So He is the ultimate healer. He is the um, uh, ultimate provider of everything. So the so His uh, a person or a believer needs to believe in His. Uh, attributes uh, as well if he believes in the oneness of God as well so if one believes in uh, Allah's attributes uh, which uh, and one of them is a Shafi the healer then um, certainly he will find uh, the cure and remedy as well Uh, His Holiness um, uh, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad May Allah be his helper, has emphasized that the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessing Allah be upon him, has also always insisted on prayer and sadaqah. Sadaqah means uh, giving charity. Um, So, 
The Holy Prophet uh, always insisted on prayer and sadaqa that assist in the healing of disease as well and that one should solely depend on God for recovery from any type of illness. And uh, <clears throat> with this uh, we are heading towards the end of the show and we have reached the end of today's breakfast show. And uh, <clears throat> I would like to thank uh, our listeners for tuning in, our experts for taking time out to discuss the topics. And um, <clears throat> um, my brother, Mubariz um, Amini, and for the tech team as well, and uh, the producer, Eman, and the researchers as well. And please do tune in, tune in for the uh, to the breakfast show for tomorrow. Uh, our discussion, which is um, birth of UK's first baby, consisting of three people's DNA. Uh, the second topic will be importance of sleep, and the th third topic will be or might be. Uh, they are not anyway uh, to, to uh, please do tune in for the breakfast show tomorrow and uh, till then um, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh majestic, the one who is above any evil, defect and deficiency due to his greatness and grandeur. All praise is due to Allah, to whom belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth, and his is all praise in the hereafter. He is the King of the Kings and indeed is the Master of the Day of Judgment. He is the Lord of all creation. The master of the day of judgment is one who runs the affairs of the masses according to his will. Malik, master, is one who has total possession of creation and has this possession without the help of any partnership and that this is not applicable to anyone but Allah. Unlike a Malik, king from whom one seeks everything the term malik master denotes that god is responsible for everything including food reward and punishment the rule of god is not like any kingship of this world rather it has total ownership and control God has expounded the good and the bad deeds to us and has given us free will in this world and has told us that He has the right to punish and that the decision to punish or forgive 
is with him. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, said, that the attribute of Master of the Day of Judgment demands that we turn to Him with extreme and utmost humility, sincerity, and meekness. Those who turn to Allah in the manner of a completely helpless and powerless person and do actually and genuinely believe in their utter incapacity as they submit, find beneficence, from this divine quality. Malik is a quality of deed that promotes and advocates a profusion of mercy and compassion. However, how can man imbibe this divine attribute on a human level? Adopting mastership means that man may do justice and may avoid evil. In this capacity, he also overlooks others' wrongs, either out of mercy, compassion, or forgiveness. <laughs>